Welcome back for episode five of the Peacemakers podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Hager. Okay, so today I am going to be sharing with you an interview that I had a few weeks back. Uh, Of course, we're still here in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and Honestly, I don't even know what day it is today, but about a month ago, I interviewed Joel Hubbard. And for those of you that may be aware of Joel or his podcast, he's the co-creator of the Art of Growth podcast. And it's become one of my favorite Enneagram go-to podcasts. And I think I've even talked about it on the Peacemakers podcast a few times. So Joel is the co-creator of the podcast, The Art of Growth. He is a certified Enneagram coach, and he's a pastor near Boston, Massachusetts. So over the past several months, like I said, I've just become super enthralled with the podcast, um, The Art of Growth, and specifically one of the episodes that I've gone back to a couple times and talked to other Enneagram Nines about is Season 2, Episode 2, and it's one where Joel is hosting an Enneagram Nine panel. And that specific episode just has really spurred on a lot of thoughts for me as a peacemaker and um, really has broadened my knowledge about myself. And it's created some really good conversation for me in discussing it with other Enneagram Nines. And so I just couldn't help myself from reaching out to him. And I'm, I'm just like, please come and coach me on my podcast or come and talk to me about that episode on my podcast. So I'm just really excited to share this with you. I think there's a lot for us to learn. So without further delay, here is part one of my interview with Joel Hubbard. So how are you doing first? Tell me, I know that this is a crazy time and I, I really appreciate you making time to Oh yeah, absolutely. My joy. Yeah. Things are, you know, things are going, uh, as they are, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is a mixed bag of, uh, all sorts of, uh, challenges and, you know, everyone feels, I think everyone has a sense of disorientation. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, there's some wonderful moments too, some, uh, really precious connections that I think we're having with each other. Yeah. You are a pastor. I am. Yep. So are you doing that like over video? Like what's that looking like right now? We've gone all Zoom and um, and crazy thing is that we're doing really good. Like people like it um, and not everyone, not everyone's used to it yet, but um, we've had some interesting things emerge from that. Like folks who are visiting us from different states. Mm-hmm. And uh, feeling like they're connecting more uh, to our um, expression of faith in our church mm-hmm. um, than they ha- than they do in perhaps their own church, or some folks who haven't been attending church that are uh, showing up, and um, so that's been interesting. And then I've also found that people love. We do it very dynamically and interactively, so we have folks um, will chat with us. And uh, we'll respond to the questions. And so it's been really interesting to watch as folks who are typically more introverted that will now interact through chat with us Mm -hmm. and ask questions. And uh, so I feel like in some ways it's leveled the playing field. This is early for me, too early for us to, I guess, definitively say Mm -hmm. this, but it's leveled the playing field, I think, for some folks um, out there. Yeah. I'm really interested. I mean, I know a little bit about you just through you know, us talking the other day and then the podcast. 
how long have you been involved in the Enneagram and how long have you been a pastor and how did those kind of, how did it come to be that you wanted to be an Enneagram coach? So I've only been doing the Enneagram. It feels like forever, but I've only been doing the Enneagram now for about four years where um, I think solidly. So before then I started probably about four and a half years ago looking into it, but it was really four years ago that I took it seriously. And two years ago, I went for my certification and started that process. Um, pastoring, I've been doing that for, uh, for a long time. I was youth pastor in the late 90s and um, did that for six years. And then um, I went off to seminary. I kind of did it backwards, went off to seminary. And then after graduating from seminary, I took a lead pastorate at a church and have been doing that since then. So altogether, I don't know, 20, some, 20 years, maybe 20 something years of pastoring in total. Wow. So, uh, and you know, you, you know, this, there's these statistics that are out there that roughly 15,000 pastors, I think it is, I don't know what the latest number is, but Per year, I think it was, we're burning out and not returning to ministry. And I thought to myself, huh, what's to burn out about? Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm having a good time for the most part. And I've always got fresh ideas, new ideas. And so I kept pushing and pushing. And uh, I now can look back and see that I was on the verge of burnout before I ever burned out. Um, and I burned out four years ago and burned out pretty hard uh and it was then that i ran into some authors who were referencing the enneagram and i thought huh i've heard of this before but uh maybe i should take a look at it and i did and when i did it began to speak to me quite profoundly and that's when i decided i was going to go get certified in the enneagram and it was through that season that i emerged from what I can now see was was really me running out of my own self, my own capacity to meet my needs, to save myself, to to be in this world. And a lot of the low side of my type was why I ended up, I think, burning out. Mm -hmm. And you're you're a seven, right? I am. Okay. So many questions. So many questions. Okay. <laughs> so I told you the other day. I grew up, you know, in the Christian faith and have a counseling background and grew up in a pastor family. My husband is a pastor's kid and a missionary kid. So it's kind of our, it's been our world also. And although I did not really intend to talk very much about this necessarily, but I feel like the Enneagram is so spiritually focused in, you know, just knowing ourselves that there's, there's obviously going to be crossover. But when you talk about that burnout, like I yeah. feel that like I, I have felt like I went to seminary also and, and kind of had this, you know, I wanted to save the world. I wanted to bring that helper part of myself to the world in whatever way that looked. Um, I found myself getting burnout just kind of with the politics of, of how things can be. The church, you know, culture, politics, and just just kind of sucking the life out of who I think God is. I've been taught all these years by personality types that were not my personality type. So they were interpreting the Bible through their lens of how they're showing up in the world. 
Well said. <laughs> so let me just kind of go in that direction. And um, that's one of my, actually, one of my first questions I wanted to ask you. So hmm. I discovered you, I guess, maybe about four or five months ago, six months ago. I've been on my Enneagram journey for a while, but, and knowing I've been a nine and just hmm. getting to know myself more through that. But discovered the podcast and I am very self-centered in that once I knew I was a nine, it's like I'm going to the Apple podcast and searching, you know, for all the nine episodes (laughs) (laughs) and we're just so self-serving, but found, you know, your nine panel podcast, episode two, season two of The Art of Growth. And I think I've listened to it like four or five times and I keep quoting it to people and putting it out there on Instagram. And it's like all of these nines that that I'm friends with online, um, they're resonating with it too. So everything I want to talk to you today is I'm pulling inspiration from the things you said in that that podcast, but I just want to kind of expound on it. Sure. In this crazy, busy, like fast-paced world out there that we nines are living in, that's led by a lot of people that either feel confident in their voice or they feel like they've had the experience putting their voice out there, or maybe, you know, maybe they're threes on the Enneagram, maybe they're sevens or or eights, and they just have this kind of passion just kind of bubbling over from them. Then you have someone that's been in the background of their life like me and has been fearful of putting their voice out, fearful of showing up and it just feels like there's so much noise and why even bother putting my ideas out there. I just wanted to ask you like, how does a nine even like begin to step their foot into that? Yeah. 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 That is what I hear from a lot of nines. Um, I'll tell you, I, I even hear from nines who are in senior leadership roles. Um, one uh, who was a client of mine for a bit as a pastor of a church and uh, another one that I ran into and did a little bit of work with, uh, same thing. And both said something very similar to me and didn't know uh, that they would be both talking to me separately. And you know, there was no collaboration around that. But to hear them both say, it's interesting to me that other people are more passionate, more convicted, convinced, and sure of themselves than I am or of their mm-hmm. beliefs than I am. That is really difficult for me sometimes because I have to, I have to, I feel like I have to, to have that. I have to be that person as well. Nines are are in a world that tends to have more of that than they do. And so when a nine shows up, Mm -hmm. uh, it's easier for the nine to merge with the energy of others than it is to uh, tune in to what their own thoughts are, their own feelings, their own desires, um, mm-hmm. and and to just go with the flow um, and lose themselves in that. There's some of that that's low, the low side that goes towards um, behaviors that are not helpful. But to every one of these low sides, to every type, and for the nine, the different low sides that you may see in yourself, there is also a strength to that. And it is very difficult, I know, for nines to see that in themselves. But in this world, there's a pulling back that the nine can do to come back to the nine's self and to discern what needs to be discerned. The nine does not have to be an eight. The nine does not have to be a three or a seven or any other type. Um, The nine 
has to be the nine because there's a gift that the nine brings to the world that none of the other types have. And it is critical, super important, Mm -hmm. um, and rewarding for the nine when they can come to terms with that truth and fully embrace it and live into it. And it's always going to be the goal. It's never going to be a once and done thing where I am, I have arrived. I'm at the top of this. I have no problem Mm -hmm. anymore with full embrace of myself. Every nine will work at this for the rest of their lives, but you will gain a whole lot of growth. You'll have uh, places, levels you'll reach where you won't be revisiting some of the earlier struggles. So that's the goal is to embrace the fullness of your nine, to leverage the strengths of your nine, and to bring yourself back to yourself and back into the world. It's so funny because um, when we talked the other day, just briefly on the phone, and I said I was having a hard time prioritizing what I wanted to talk about, which I think that's a nine thing. I feel like I have everything that's coming at me through a fire hydrant all the time. And I also have anxiety. So that plays into that too. And kind of a hard time just not being scattered. Mm -hmm. But I put a lot of importance on every single thing that's in front of me. So it's like I needed my husband to say, start on this first, do this one thing first. Or like when I was talking to you and I said, this is what I want to talk about. And you said, just speak from your heart. And I feel that like when I am going into something and I'm mm-hmm. like getting kind of in the flow yeah. of, of feeling like, okay, I'm, this feels good. I'm, I can feel this is coming from my core. If I can go into that space and stay there and kind of push away all these negative voices of no one's going to connect with this or um, this is going to ruffle somebody's feathers or whatever and push those away and keep moving through, then that's when I'm showing up. It's hard for a nine because I want to please people so much. Like, for instance, I have followed personal development experts for a long time. People that write these inspirational, enthusiastic, go-getter type books. So I have been in that. And that's kind of like a three space. Like, I feel like that's me. (laughs) Are you familiar with the soul child theory? Mm -hmm. There's like this three inside of me, like waiting to get out. But at the same time... One thing I have to recognize is that I'm not a three. It might look like I'm striving mm-hmm. and achieving and pushing, but I've got to stay away from that part mm-hmm. of it. I can't be in that striving space for very long without just wanting to take a nap for three weeks. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a very common, I think, reaction for a lot of nines is I can push, but you know, it, it is it, there there is a toll that's taken when, mm-hmm. when you do that. Yeah. And how people that you work with that are nines or, you know, this panel that you met with, like, I know you said you saw a lot of growth in them. Have you met with that same group of people through panels or you just know those people personally? It's been a mix. Some I know personally, some it's just through the panel. um, And a number of others have been clients of mine over Mm -hmm. the course of months and so then I've been able to track their growth and, um, and they have too. I mean, I don't just tell them, Hey, you're growing. It's, it's, sure. they see growth within themselves and we sort of celebrate that together. But yeah, it's a bit of, of all of that. Has there been a similarity in how they've found that growth or, you mm-hmm. know, the steps they've taken to go to that next place or take steps towards that? 
It's a great question. And there's a uniqueness to each one of their journeys. But what I've been curiously interested in is, is trying to figure out what are the larger steps? What are the bigger sort of categories that we could connect together? So if you do this right here and then this happens and then that happens, generally this produces this result. It's not a formula. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, but it's, re- it's what it is, is I'll give you an example. It may be easier to say it this way. Many nines describe a sort of aversion to their emotional center. Um, there's a, an attempt to neutralize their own emotional uh, experience and then also neutralize the emotional experiences of others around them. Hmm. Um, some uh, are more comfortable. I know some nines that have made peace with that uh, part of, uh, of, the, uh, of their own emotions or the emotions of the world around them. Some nines would even say, I'm okay with people's emotions, but when you press further, there's still a disconnect with their own emotions um, in the sense of being able to trust them and, um, and allow them to guide their decisions or, gu- or be part of the decision-making process. Um, and so what you start to see is this pattern that replicates itself over and over again, which is that the nine is, in the, uh, is the anchor point of the body triad. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, body types are eights, nines, and ones. Mm-hmm. Now, eights energy goes out, nines is really negated or, or, or repressed real deep. And the one's energy is an energy that goes against themselves. <laughs> so it's funny, the eight is against the world, the one's is sort of against themselves. And the, and the nine just attempts to repress that or to press that down deep within themselves. So this intuition, this attention that is, that is very much gut-oriented, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know this is the right action. The nine then quickly beyond, this is before perception, goes right to the headspace and can come up with all sorts of reasons why one shouldn't do that or why that, you know, uh, there might be another, maybe maybe I'm not thinking about this clearly. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's there's more research I need to do around it. So this is an unperceived pattern, right? So if, if you can catch that pattern as it goes from the body to the head, that's the awareness we talk about. There's a, the self-knowledge, which is I'm a type nine, and I know what I do. I don't pay attention to that inner instinct. I kind of go against it. But can you catch it as it's happening? Because if you can, that's when you can intercept it. Hmm. Um, and then the third part, which is the third center. So we've talked about the body has this intuition, the gut, and then the head rationalizes but the way the, the nine leverages the head center is to work against that gut instinct. Why? Because from the heart space, the nine knows or believes, if I assert myself in any way, if I bring myself in in any way, it will create discomfort, disharmony, and you know a lack of peace, and it will rob me of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sort of pattern that repeats itself over and over again. And so what I've noticed with nines that are changing is that they begin to lean more into, we talk talk about how, because there's even helps around that in in particular hacks and habits, habits of transformation. But when the nine begins to tune back into their gut, this is what I know I need to do. And then 
they communicate it and are willing to take that risk of going against what they fear might happen, what ends up happening is they begin to make right decisions. They begin to Mm -hmm. take right action. And instead of being a peacekeeper, they actually genuinely become a peacemaker. They Mm -hmm. They begin to discover that that didn't really have the effect I thought it would. The lie of my type is that if I assert myself in any way, if I bring myself into the conversation anyway, if I, if I do any of these things, if I move, if I get up, if I take on a new challenge, if I, then I'm going to have this dreaded sense of disruption. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the lie. That's the lie of the type. And so when you call it out on its lie and you begin to live in the other direction, you start to find peace at a deeper level. Mm. Yes. I, um, Jim, what's Zartman, when he introduced, I guess you guys were introducing that episode, he talked about his wife being a nine and how I guess she got to a point where she recognized or she was starting to live pushing through that conflict. And she's, she recognized that it wasn't worth her not being herself mm. to push through that conflict. I'm finding that for myself too. I've had this desire for a long time to put my voice out there. Not, I'm not even talking about through a podcast or through, you know, the online space, but just bring myself and my opinions and not hold back. I feel like a lot of the things that are happening in the world today, it's like everyone's screaming at each other. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a strong opinion. They feel it in their gut they feel it so strongly that they want to tell you what they think and they want to tell you why you're wrong. And so I'm sitting here and observing all these things and I'm like, I have those strong feelings too, but then I don't want to put it out there. Like, like I promised you when I was thinking about starting the podcast, I was going through my social media, you know, friends list and family list. And I, I almost had a panic attack thinking about what this person's going to say and what this person's going to think and well, I'm going to lose that relationship mm. and I, I might as well just go ahead and block them because they're not going to accept this. It was a direct reflection of how I live my mm. life in general. Yep. Like you said, it's a journey and it's like, you're always, I think I'm always going to be figuring that part out in a lot of ways, pushing through that fear, you know, wanting to, um, avoid the conflict, but I just had to, um, I had to elevate that desire that I had, that I had something good to say, I had to like say, no, this is good. This voice that you have does matter. And this point that you're wanting to share or whatever, there's value in it. Just do it. Like I just had to do it. And each step has been scary in its own way, but it's been like life-giving. It's like, I'm learning myself for the first time. I'm finding that person that I haven't known. I'm like, oh, there Mm. you are that is that person that I've known inside you all this time. It's almost like I haven't known myself. I've I've said that to myself and I've said that to people like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know my opinions. I don't even know whatever. But once I'm stepping into it, I'm like, oh yes, I do know myself. I do know my core. It's just, I haven't been living out of it. I've been like repressing it so much and I've, it's just been asleep really. Well, this is what happens when a nine, when they start to realize that every bit of their patterns, their lower patterns, instead of producing peace, it starts to produce more anxiety. It starts to produce more more resentment. It starts to dawn on them that if I go the other direction, 
And if I actually create what I feel like is going to be conflict by starting this podcast, by putting my voice out there, that the exact opposite happens. They begin to live lighter. There's less weight around it. And the issues themselves go away. Nines have told me when I finally spoke up and I said what I thought, then I was able to move on. Then like it's gone. Like I don't replay it over and Hmm. over again in my head for days or weeks Mm -hmm. or months or years. Because what ends up happening is all this sort of self-negation and repression and tuning to the world outside means that all of this discomfort just lives in the headspace. (laughs) It's a Mm -hmm. way of managing the discomfort by putting it up into that and, and rationalizing it away, but it never actually goes away, right? So... Um, the nine has to tune into that. Like, this is sad that I feel that I might lose these relationships. It's sad, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. It's just sadness. It's not truth. It's what I'm feeling at an emotional level is fear that that may happen. And then calling it out on its lie and beginning to test it. You know, Let me try. Let me mm. try just in a small way to see what happens. And, um, and the little steps like that begin to build on each other. Um, and it's important for the nine to then reflect on what happened. Be- because you've done this before. You've already gone against your low side of your time. Many, many nines have done this. But what happens is you forget that you did. And you go back to mm-hmm. observing the old pattern behavior. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to do is bring to mind over and over again what I did. Like for yourself, Lindsay, I started this podcast and look what happened. Mm -hmm. Did it blow up in my face? Did everybody hate me? Did all the things I expected would happen? They happened. And you may have a story that, oh yeah, actually somebody was upset. Okay. But pull back and look at the larger scope. What happened? Was it as bad as you expected it to be? And you play that over and over again, and you reflect on those things, and those things begin to build on each other and begin to produce more of a, of a transformation uh, within you. It's a sort of, uh, the, you know, the neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to rewire itself. What it needs is, in order to rewire itself, it needs both the experience of doing something different, but then also the reflection on that. So the reflection mm-hmm. on it helps to sort of solidify the change inside you. Yeah. I'm very fascinated by how we play these roles in our family. So like in our family of origin, we have like, you know, I'm the youngest child. And prior to the Enneagram, I really thought I had, I had a really good system of like figuring myself out. So, okay, I'm acting like this because I'm the youngest child. I'm acting like this because, you know, my dad's a pastor or because X, Y, Z. And sure, all those things play into it. And I think the Enneagram for me has just been another puzzle piece of, you know, learning that I'm a peacemaker and that I played that role in whatever sense. I mean, I think everyone kind of comes to that space in their own way. For me, it wasn't necessarily like overt trauma. It was just, I was born with, with a certain like personality. And for some reason, I couldn't find a way to interject myself into my family or, for whatever reason, I, I couldn't do that. Or I felt that I couldn't. I had to play this sit back kind of role and observe and just watch everything happen around me. Going back to what you said about the way you described it, described it on the episode was 
breathe air into the good that is happening. Yeah. And going back to what you were talking about just now about like remembering what happened before. What did you do before that helped you get from point A to point B? And like what was good about that and letting it come in and like mm, affect mm, you. Mm. Yes. Yes. That's a meditation for nines. It's, it's breathing into the good is the practice of delighting yourself. It's the practice of gratitude and delight. Um, it's a little bit further than gratitude. Sometimes we, you know, gratitude has been a fantastic topic that I can't talk enough about. I think it's, I think every one of us should be practicing gratitude. But let me push it further because gratitude can be, oh yeah, I'm just thankful because I have a roof over my head, you know, I get food, I get, uh, and sometimes it gets really not helpful when we get into, I should be grateful, right? So then there's the should, I should be grateful because I've been given all these gifts and I, but the helpful part is, is still good. You know, grateful for all these things that I do have. But there's one that's even mm-hmm. further that you body types really can do well when you do it. I practice it. And I've got it to where now I'm really loving this meditation. But the meditation mm-hmm. is one in which I take complete delight in the moment. Silly, simple pleasure. And I feel it in my body. So I make yeah. my body as if, it, as if it could. I make it smile. From head to toe. What would it look like if mm-hmm. every part of my body was happy, full of gratitude, delighting itself in the moment? Right? So when you see yourself as a nine, now you can do this just regardless of whether you've accomplished anything great or not. But even more, when you have done something well, nines almost never. Out of the Enneagram types, it probably one of the um, ones that do the least of this, which is to remember and to reflect on the good things they actually have done. Mm-hmm. And to practice that is so critical and important. Like, I did this well, and it went well, and people liked it. Mm-hmm. And to delight yourself in that. It's tuning into your body and honoring it for having guided you well. Right? Your body center, your gut center, your intuition. This is what guided me, and I responded to it. And so you delight yourself in that. And doing that will produce better um, endorphin releases, but sort of better sense in your body and in your mind around. It's the reward. I did this, and there's a reward for having done that. And that itself will help bring your attention to the positives. So one quick analogy. I used to um, mountain bike uh, love the whole sort of like off-road stuff and um the goal of of when you're doing this off-road stuff with mountain biking is you want them as much as possible like for every challenge that you're about to face is not to step off it, you, you want to keep both feet on the pedal and conquer that thing get to the other side and then you can you know step down but that was that's the goal so I'm coming across a, a little tiny wooden bridge. It was like a, a, you know, somebody had put a plank down essentially over this very muddy, you know, little stream. And uh, at this point in the season, it wasn't, it wasn't even really uh, a stream. It was like just like maybe uh, mud mixed with all, you know, with about two inches of water above the mud. And um, and I'm looking at this saying, that's the last thing I want to go into right now. I do not want to fall off into that stuff. And I know the rule of mountain biking is you, where your head points, that's ten, that tends to be where your body's going to lean and it's going to bring the bike to there. And I kept looking at this crappy, you know, muddy 
ugly stream that I'm thinking, I do not want to go in there. I don't want to fall into that stuff. I just want to get to the other side. This is going to be fun. Let me give it a try. Don't look, don't look, keep your head straight, focused on the, and you know what? I couldn't help myself. I looked at that stupid thing and I ended up right in it. And then I get up out of, and I get off my bike and now I'm angry because I am angry at myself for having done that. So I get my bike back up and I, I try it again. And it took me two to three times to get my focus completely off of the negative, even to the degree that now I was angry. So what does that do? That makes me look at it even more, focus on it even more. My attention is on what I just did wrong, not on where I want to go and what I want to do right. Eventually I made it across, you know, but that's the, that's the, it's a good metaphor for life and for our types is focus on the good and where you want to go not on the mistakes you've made because the more you focus on what you've done well where you want to go the more likely you are to get there okay guys so that concludes part one of this interview with joel hubbard please check back next week for part two of the interview and if you have some time between now and then i would highly recommend going and listening to the art of growth season two episode two which is the episode that i'm i'm kind of talking to him about throughout this this interview so check that i'll I'll put that link down in the show notes for you guys but i really hope that you know if you've listened to the this is the fifth episode of of the peacemakers podcast if you've if you've listened to the others um, and continue, you know, I hope that you're hearing and learning the same thing that I'm learning, which is that this is a journey, that growth is possible, and it takes intentional steps in the direction of that right action that he talks about. But growth is possible, and these patterns that we live from, they happened over a period of time, and so that change is going to come over a period of time. It's not going to happen overnight. So, um, you know, a lot of these things we will be dealing with and, you know, pushing through for the rest of our lives. But I can just tell you that I'm already experiencing a lot of freedom and a lot of growth through just taking steps forward and putting myself out into the world in whatever way that looks. You know, your journey is not going to look the same as mine. But I'm already experiencing a lot of freedom from that and just finding myself in the process. So thanks so much for tuning in today, and I'll just see you back here next week for part two of my interview with Joel Hubbard.